In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 66th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me, what the show's about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to voiceamerica.com business channel. Be sure to download the app or just tune in using your favorite podcast app. Now, if you missed last week's show, we did a replay of an interview I did with epigenetic coach Rajkumari Niyoji. We discussed how to dismantle a toxic work culture and dealing with transgenerational trauma, amongst other juicy topics. So feel free to check that out on the Voice America Business Channel from November 26th. Now, today, my guest is Jeannie Lambin. Welcome, Jeannie. Hello. Well, well, I don't know why I'm saying welcome, but welcome to me. (laughs) You know, Jeannie, I was wanting to remember when we first met and I can't really place it, though. I'll tell you, I can had a very uh, strong recall of the AIN conference. We'll tell the listeners about that in a minute in Montreal. I think that is, that's funny. Yeah, that was my recollection as well, that I first met you in Montreal. And were you on the bus ride where we came back and had the, there was just a lot of fun and uh, game playing on the bus. Um, Oh, I hope I was. I have a, is is this where we stayed in the cabins that was at Montreal? Yes, Montreal is where we stayed in the cabins. Yes, that's right. Um, I remember doing your quest. Yeah. And going into an art gallery as part of my quest. Yes. Um, okay. Let me give me a, you went into an art gallery and you wouldn't have gone into the gallery and you were guided there by one of your colors. Yes. That- yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, oh, and then, I don't- yeah. And I don't want to, I think I remember what this is, but I want to hear you say it. Cause I don't want to get it wrong. You don't get it wrong. Yeah, Cause I don't know. I wasn't going to say anything else. <laughs> Was it a piece that was made? I think I'm confusing two people's quests, but there was uh-huh. one person. Um, well, I don't want to share it because it's not their quest. So oh, I'm okay. not gonna, in case okay. I get it wrong. Right. Um, or it's not my quest. Um, so tell me about what happened in the art gallery. Um, well, it was just sort of a, I'm, I've always been intimidated by art galleries. Yeah. So for me, it was this, it gave me an excuse. I had a mission I was on, so I had to do this thing. So it gave me that extra confidence. And then I felt like I belonged there, you know, that, that because I had to accomplish something. And um, I just would remember being inspired by, obviously by the artwork. And it was a combination of images and uh, text as well, though. um, I'm not sure this about all the vague memory that I have. I, I love that that being on the quest gave you permission because I think that's one of right? the most powerful things about it. And for uh, people that 
perhaps aren't familiar with the quest. The quest is an improvisational structure that was initially kind of conceived of by Del Close um, as a way for people to take the improvisational mindset normally reserved for the stage or for performance out into the world and to see what happens if one approaches the world with that mindset and what insights are revealed as a result and kind of um, then kind of come back and tell stories about the experience. I first learned it from at an AIN conference from an improviser by the name of Joey Novick. And I became obsessed with learning more about what the quest is kind of its, um, Mm -hmm. its lineage in the world of improv and then also linking it to kind of, what literature was popular at the time because it was first brought into the world in the early 1980s. And some people have described it as like the first applied improv exercise. Really? And, yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I'm, and I became fascinated because so many things happened during it. And I kind of view it as the quest improv for transformation. And so what are, yeah. So I see you go ahead. Well, I let's hold that because yes. I want to take a deep dive into that further. And before we do that, let's backtrack and give the listeners some more yes. backstory. So they're that on, sounds great. They're exactly where we want them to be. So listeners, what you should know about Jeannie is she's a writer, a coach, a facilitator, a storyteller, and an artist. She's the founder of the Human Imagination Project and the Museum of the Ordinary Extraordinary which is a virtual space that exists to help people cultivate hope, nurture their imagination and create a new possible, a new possible, a new possibility, new possibility, a new possible. But now that I'm hearing it read, maybe a new possibility. Hmm. I I like both. (laughs) This is a new possible. Um, So Jeannie also uses applied improvisation. And we're going to define that for you listeners. So you're uh, tracking with us. She uses storytelling and she uses other creative interventions to help people reconnect to the magic of the ordinary, the extraordinary, and everything in between. Her current projects include something called 11 Minutes to Mars. We're going to hear more about that. And then also the quest improvisation for transformation, which Jeannie was starting to talk about. Also, We're All Dying and Everybody's Museum. Jeannie, I want to hear about all these things. (laughs) So now here, um, so the listeners are completely... um, um, caught up or aligned with us. You and I, we talk about improv and applied improv. Um, how would you describe what improv and implied improv is for listeners who might not be familiar with it? Oh, gosh. Um, yes. And before I dive into that, just thank you for uh, inviting me to be on uh, the podcast. I'm super excited about it. And I've been looking forward to our conversation for a long time. So thank you. Yeah, sure. And- Diving off the cliff of definitions, improv has so many different kind of manifestations across the world. But I think a lot of people associate improv with kind of like comedy or, you know, making things up as you go along. And yes, those are many aspects um, of it. But improvisation is, for me, the kind of the short definition is the art and practice of being intentionally spontaneous. The um, art and practice of being intentionally spontaneous. Yes. Okay. Nice. And, and I'm curious what your definition of improv is. Um, well, I, I first talk about, you know, like the, 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 um, the stage 
description of it for people and say, okay, it's like a group of people get on stage. They have no script, no preparation, no props. They create things out of seemingly thin air, uh, dances, skits, songs. And yet it's all because they're following a group of principles that make them successful. And then, so that's like for performance improv. And then I say the applied is really taking it and then weaving those concepts in the mindset. And then you and I share that, that, that passion behind the mindset of improv into our daily lives so that we come become kinder and nicer and sexier people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. It is, it is absolutely. I mean, I, I studied improv um, when I was in high school because I thought it would help me be more funny. Um, And when I realized that it was really difficult to be funny on purpose and then also um, well, and it, it's, I thought I was doing it to become, you know, to learn how to be funnier. And what I learned is that it was a way to live and a set of a mindset. And just as you said, kind of guidelines, I think of them as the building blocks. So Mm -hmm. I have kind of the building blocks of the improvisational mindset. So, you know, be present, pay attention, listen, let go support. And the list um, goes on, but then kind of that ability to kind of pull different aspects of that and kind of say, okay, in this moment, I really just want to be present and listen, or, you know, we are all in situations every day where we have to let go. Sometimes it's just that an event didn't turn out as planned. And sometimes there's life events that are disastrous, um, tragic and consequential and to, you know, all the letting go that is forced upon you. And then all the letting go that you have to will yourself to, um, and just, you know, oh, so that's oh, that was a good one. Skills. Yeah. The letting go, you have to will yourself to. Yeah. That's really good because that it, it letting go can sound very passive. Like it's just yeah. got to like snow. It's got to melt. No, you could take a blowtorch to that snow and melt it faster. So yeah. that willingness to let go, willing it to let go it from feels much more proactive to me. Yeah. And, and present, because I think, there's, um, I'm trying, I'm thinking, so, uh, I apologize for the radio pause, but, (laughs) um, that sometimes just the being present with the discomfort of the experience is such a powerful skill as well. And that goes to letting go and kind of the the challenge of, um, the work, you know, as you kind of, I'm I'm reframing it a little bit, the work that it can be to let go and that it's, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not always a, a passive thing. It can be a very active thing and it can be a very uh, require a great deal of pre- presence for the emotional energy. And then also kind of oftentimes the logistical, like all the things that go with letting go and the spectrum mm-hmm. of experience that happens with that. And that improvisational mindset is a way to kind of be present. And I also think of it as an empathetic mindset for one's own self and then also for others because you are totally being present to your own experience and to others. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. You know, Jeannie, we'll, I want to weave back around to the quest in yeah. a few minutes. Before we do, though, I want um, listeners to know more about your background. You know, you and I were talking earlier, you've got a BA in anthropology, you've got an MS in historic preservation. You moved to Hong Kong in 2014. It's safe to say, Jeannie, you have a somewhat of a unique background. And so I would love for you to give listeners a deep dive into your background to help us see 
how all that brought you to where you are today and what you're doing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great background to have, but then in terms of kind of putting it on paper and trying to explain it to other people, I'm still challenged by that. Um, true confession, I had, to, I had to send a bio to Amy for this, and writing bios is something that just I want to hide under my desk when I've tried a bio, but it, it is fun to talk about. So I, I grew up in the house that my dad grew up in, and because my dad was an older parent when I was born, I think he was, he was almost 50 when I was born that his parents had already passed away. And so I really had only one living grandparent and a lot of my family members on both sides of my family were gone. Um, And so they existed in stories and Mm. being in the house that I, my dad grew up in, there were a lot of like objects that were uh, like kind of, it was the kind of the home for wayward objects, you know, so there was like this chair from this family member and, you know, like my uncle Eugene, who is an artist, like his watercolors in the basement and, you know, postcards and letters and all these things. And so the, the, both the intangible and the, both the tangible and intangible aspects of people and story and presence and meaning and connection were all very present for me at a young age. And, uh, And so it made sense then going into anthropology and archaeology because I was interested in kind of understanding people through their objects and through what they tangibly create. But then anthropology is also about kind of the larger culture in which it exists. Um, Hold on. Anthropology about the larger culture. No, say that last part again. So anthropology, it's about kind of the tangible elements of culture Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the physical elements. objects that we create, but then it's also about the intangible elements. You know, why do we Mm. believe what we believe? Why do we value what we value? Um, How does the culture we grow up in shape how we see the world? And then how does moving, you know, to different places or experiencing different cultures alter one's experience of the world? And that, that lens of looking at kind of the broad scope of human creation and connection was absolutely fascinating to me. Wow. When you were talking about the objects, I, was, I got distracted because I wanted to look up a podcast that I've been listening to and to see if you've heard of it. It's called Everything is Alive. Oh, no, I have not heard about this. I'm writing that down. It is total improv. It is, it, this guy interviews objects so oh, yeah wow like um telephone booth or um a subway chair or a balloon and so these people take on the roles of these items and objects and they fully em- embody these objects and i have to tell you it is I, and apparently the conversations are completely improv- improvised if i got it correct um and it's hilarious and thought-provoking. And I wonder from your perspective, from the anthropology perspective, um, if it would, um, what, how that would speak to you. It just, I think that is something you'd really enjoy. I am so in love with that idea and I can't (laughs) wait to go listen to it. And I thank you for that recommendation. It makes me super happy. And (laughs) two things come to mind. One is that when I was, uh, kind of if you know fast forwarding for a while I was teaching um historic preservation at a, at a college and one of the projects that I had my students do was they had to become a building for the quarter so they created a they picked a building in the community 
And then they created, this was in the earlier days of Facebook. So they created a, a basically a profile for the building and, or the structure, whatever it was. One of the students was a parking lot and they had to go and spend time there and then post on Facebook as if they were the building. And then also they were friends with the other buildings and, you know, streets and parking lots. Um, and then other people became friends with them. And so it was this really fascinating experience of, you know, what is that first person point of view from these, these yes. things that kind of provide the ca- container of its life? And what does the container say about us? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was absolutely, uh, it was a wonderful, it was a great class um, in and of itself, but it was a really delightful experience. And we also hid little QR codes on the building. So if someone came across them, they could find, you know, they would just, what is this? And then scan it and then discover that um, they could be friends with this building. Um, so I definitely will listen to that. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, um, I mean, cultures throughout history have given meaning to objects and that there's, you know, power in what we create. And one of the most fascinating things about, there's so many fascinating things about being human. And one of them is that we have this ability to take something that's from within us, um, whether it's just relaying an emotional experience or an idea for a product or a policy or some, you know, social movement that will change the world. And we can externalize it and give it form and give it shape and give it substance and then turn it into a co-creative process once it comes out of us. And I think that that is just endlessly fascinating. And then looking back, it makes sense why objects have had and still have so much power over us. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I'm not sure where I want to go next with my question. I, I know I want to ask you <clears throat> about some of the other projects you're involved in. And one of them that comes to mind is 11 Minutes to Mars. Yeah. I would love to hear what that is. And then I have a, like, a, you know, what are, find out what are some of the quirky things people have accomplished during these gatherings. So yeah. tell listeners about it. And yeah, it's be a, a, a little wide-ranging conversation because I'm all I'm all caffeinated and excited. So, but, <laughs> so eleven minutes to Mars. Like many people, I was watching the live stream of the Mars Perseverance rover in February of this year, and that was when they were landing the the rover on Mars. And while I was watching the live stream, one of the commenters said that it, at the time, based on the position of the planets, it. Uh, took a radio signal 11 minutes to travel between the earth and Mars. This, for those that will recall, you know, there was a period where they didn't know where the rover was, if it made it, if it hadn't. Right. Um, and I just started thinking about kind of the expanse of time and space on, on, on one hand, that was so little time. And in the, you know, in the grand scheme of like billions of years since the 13.7 billion years since the creation of the universe, that's, that's nothing. And it's everything in this moment. And so I started wondering, what else is it possible to do in that amount of time? And so I got a group of people together and the the format has remained largely unchanged, but uh, we start off um, and come together at the same time every day and kind of say, um, this is what I'm going to do. And we call them checklarations. So people will check in and then declare what they're going to do. <laughs> And then do it and then report on their experience of it and then kind of capture any insights or reflections from that. And initially, I kind of thought it was more about kind of productivity um, and Mm -hmm. right-sizing time. 
But what I really realized through it is that it's about transforming people's experience of time and transforming mm-hmm. their experience with uh, attention and intention. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, once you kind of look at time and kind of evaluate what you want to happen and then reflect, like, is that what happened? It's just a way to be present in that experience. And and things that have been discovered on a practical note, like there's reasons why those things don't get done, you know, because it's like, you think, oh, I need to do this. But then once you start doing it, it's like, oh, wait, this actually needs this, 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 and this. And it's much more complex. Um, or there's an emotional weight and resistance to it, or those things are combined for the cursed storm of, you know, intractable problems. And there's other things where it's just that initial kind of leap into the void of just saying, I'm just going to dive in. I don't know what this will look like. And so, I mean, people have, um, you know, written, um, you know, there's been like blog posts that just like kept getting like, you know, realizing that it wasn't a quick post. It was something that wanted and needed more time to be expressed. And Uh so giving oneself the generosity of time to say, I'm going to give this the attention and the care um, and the intention that I feel that it merits. And then um, just things, you know, simple things like getting rid of that pile of laundry, you know, that has been, you know, needing to go away for a while or making donations or making that difficult phone call, calling someone that you love, doing gratitude, making a cup of coffee, you know, working on taxes. I mean, the list is as infinite as the expressions of desire to do things that people have. Mm -hmm. And are there, have there been some particularly noteworthy, quirky, things that people have, I don't know if accomplished is the word you want to use or achieved or, or tackled. Yeah. And and so I should say that I have a core group of people and we've been meeting every day and we are now on, I think day nine of mission number 23 and each mission is a a 11 day sprint. Uh So um, we have, um, I forget how many collective hours, but it's at this point between all of us, thousands of hours that we've shared um, together. And so what has been, um, I think one of the biggest accomplishments or realizations or benefits is the magic of creating space Uh and just that simple act of intentionally saying at this time, we will come together and we will share an experience and honoring that the because then thoughts have a place to go emotions have a place to go ideas right. have a place to go hopes have a place to go mm-hmm. frustrations have a place to go and having that channel and that opportunity for all those things to appear and be heard and to create a space for that is absolutely transformational for me one of my uh one of the most powerful things that i did is that i spent um, every day for 11 days doing nothing um, for 11 wow. minutes, not for the entire 11 days. No, right, right. <laughs> that's no, that's still, still 11 minutes is a wow for... Yeah, and, and it wasn't meditating. It wasn't like drawing. Okay. It wasn't like the, the charge to myself was um, just doing nothing. 
and being very specific about that. And what I also did too, is I, um, I stood in different places and just, you know, to see if the experience of, uh, what I was looking at changed that experience. And that was incredibly powerful because in some ways it really felt like the ability to slow time. Yeah. And to be okay in this moment, just in the midst of everything else that is happening mm-hmm. and all the things that are in, you know, all the inner voices that we all have of, you know, what we should do, what we need to do, what we want to right. do, and then evaluating what, what, what we did do, what we didn't do. <laughs> and that constant kind of feedback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That constant feedback loop that we're in um, because we're sense-making and sensory creatures. Yeah. But so that was transformational. And then just kind of silly things like um, making a magic wand because, um, <laughs> you know, who doesn't need one? And then right? <laughs> writing letters to people. Um, I mean, it's it's been wonderful. Wow. I can see as I was listening to you, I'm already spinning in my head thinking, what would I do in that 11 minute um, time span? And I love the idea of doing nothing because my sense is that it has a probably very similar impact to meditating, yeah. uh, calming you down, giving you a sense of um, grounding. And I, you know, I, I, I'm not running on this, this, this um, treadmill. I'm choosing right now to not be on the treadmill to, or walk at the pace that is right for me. When you were saying that it made me think of being in a train station uh-huh. When you're not on the train and like a high speed train comes past and just that concussion of pressure, yeah, you know, and just concussion that- of pressure. Yeah. And that's in some ways, that's what that experience is like, like that the, all those trains are coming and going and you're just this solid, stable presence mm. in that moment. Mm, that's nice. Hey, Jeannie, oh, we're going to pause here for a moment. Yes. Oh, yes. And- I saw, yes. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd love for us to take a, that revisit and take a deep dive into the quest. And so the audience and listeners can appreciate what that's all about. Now, listeners, if you want to connect more with, find out more about Jeannie, you can go directly to LinkedIn, Jeannie M. Lambin, and that's G-J-J-E-A-N-N-E-M dot Lambin, L-A-M-B-I-N. And if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You can find out more details on my website, carolcoaching.com. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, 
Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Jeannie Lambin. And before the break, we were talking about one of her projects called 11 Minutes to Mars. Now, listeners, if you want to find out more about this and possibly even join one of the missions, is that what you call them? Missions? Yeah. <laughs> so, Jeannie, how would people do that? Uh, they can connect to me on LinkedIn or you can send me an email at genie at laminc.com. And that's J E A N N E at laminc, L A M B I N K.com. And uh, no to self, don't think you're being clever um, doing a pun on your name when it's an email and you already have a difficult name. Um, and so that's, uh, and in one of my 11 minute missions in the next couple of days, I'll be continuing to uh, work on the rebuild of my website. But on my, and also on the LinkedIn profile that Amy linked to, I have a bunch of little activities that you can do at home in 11 minutes. And the one thing I would suggest is just um, grabbing a timer and just sitting down or doing whatever you want to do and just kind of writing down what it is that you intend to do, setting the timer for 11 minutes and then doing it and just reflecting on your experience of the time. You know, how did it feel? Did you, um, did it turn out as you expected? If it was a, a finite type of task, like, you know, do X, Y, or Z, were you able to do that? And how did that feel if you were successful or if it was more complex or different than you expected, what is that? And can you kind of gain any insights? And just that deliberate practice mm. of declaring how you're going to spend your time, looking at how you're going, how, how it evolved, and then just reflecting on kind of that experience is, is um, for me, at least it was transformational. Wow. Very cool. All right. Now, speaking of transformational, let's bring back the beast early in the start of the, our conversation. We started talking about the quest, yeah, which is improvisation for transformation. So why don't uh, you given the backstory of how you discovered it and how your juice do it and what it means. So now let's talk about when you run a quest, what can people expect? So when I run a quest, what people can expect is uh, one of the things is that I'm very careful about what I say about it because I want people to have an individual mm. and profound experience. So if this is in some ways vague, that's intentional. But one of the things that I love that you said is uh, the notion of permission, um, that because you had this um, charge to go out into the world with this improvisational mindset and 
what happens in the workshop is that we go through the, here are some of the building blocks of the improvisational mindset. Here are activities to help um, with listening or paying attention or letting go and story. And then um, people are sent off into the world with two prompts. And uh, just as a prompt, like for an improv scene, it's like a suggestion from the Mm -hmm. audience. The prompt is a suggestion of like things to pay attention to. And, um, and then people are sent off and then um, go off onto their improv adventure and their experience in the world and then come back and share stories of that. And so people might do like you did and go into an art gallery, um, whereas it was a space that they might not have explored before or wanted to. And one thing that I've noticed consistently about the quest is that that sense of permission, that yeah. simply because you're told it's okay to go out into the world with this mindset. It's okay to go to places that you might not feel um, as comfortable in or that you've been curious about, but you felt that you haven't had time or, you know, you never noticed before because, you know, the, the, the variability of attention and just that, that literal and figurative door of permission and what happens once you open it. And um, for example, some people have just given themselves permission to just like sit in a cafe for three hours and read. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this was someone who hadn't done that in like 10 years. Um, Yeah. And yeah. And, and just there's, you know, and there's the, there's the big permissions of, you know, telling someone something that you wanted to tell them and then the tiny permissions and all those little things about, you know, the, the ordinary, the extraordinary and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the ordinary, like your ordinary, cause you're in a different country, you know, like if I came to visit you and we walked down the street together, I would probably be like, Oh, Amy, Amy, look at that. Look at that. Oh, Amy, look at that. Oh, look at that. Look at that. And if you came back to Chicago and we went back to Rogers park, you know, what you remembered versus what was there now. And then my own, and for those I'm listening, this is a neighborhood in Chicago where Amy and I both used to live almost at the same time. And so we could have this whole experience of walking together and just noticing and comparing our, you know, experiences and noticing and that permission to do that and to attend collectively is a really powerful, incredible thing. Yeah. And I think one of the things I love about the philosophy of the quest is this um, walking through the world with an improv mindset. So I don't know if this fits as quest. I, I'm I'm always that's my all my intention almost on a daily basis the you know just interacting with the world at, with an improv mindset and for me that means um, staying open to offers however yeah you know small or 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 subtle they are um, to being the spontaneous to um, saying yes to uh, not being attached to wanting it my way. And I, years ago, I was in London and I, this was when the pubs used to close at 11. And as we closed, my friend said, oh, I really want to, I need some matches to smoke a cigarette. And he didn't have any. So I said, well, let's go into this restaurant and ask if they have matches. He's like, really? I said, sure, why not? And I remember we went down these stairs and it was an Indian restaurant. It was really full, really busy. And this waiter ran by and I said, excuse me. He said, yeah. I said, do you have any matches? And he looked at me, he said, uh, like, you know, oh, I'll check. I said, oh, and some chocolate. 
And the guy, the waiter looked at me and then he just sort of acknowledged what I said. And then he, he left. And my friend said, did you just ask for chocolate? I said, uh-huh. And then I said, and you know what? If this restaurant has any chocolate, we're definitely getting it. It was just like a feeling I had that that waiter, you know, sure enough, the waiter comes back about a minute later. He's got his hands in fists and he opens one hand with matches and one with chocolate. <laughs> and my friend was just amazed. He's like, I, I can't believe that. You know, how, how did you do that? And I said, well, I realized it was just being spontaneous and playful. That's a big one for me yeah. is, you know, interacting with the world in a playful way. And Jeannie, there are times, I don't know if it happens to you, it blows up in my face. Oh, yeah. Badly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and so um, I, I've, you know, I, I have the title for my second book, which I've never written, which is Always Ask for the Chocolate. <laughs> and I'm imagining that it's going to be a series of stories of my own and other people's little spontaneous moments where they have this unique, unusual, playful, surprising exchange with most likely with complete strangers and little magic happens. <laughs> yeah. Those, those little men, and it's so tied to it because like the, um, you know, there's so many extraordinary things happening, but we have to be paying attention to them to notice them or also to interact or, you know, to ask for something. And I love that you, you, you know, you did the ask, but then also added like something just kind of wild, but not totally like, you know, off, you know, cause it, it's reasonable that a restaurant might have like right. chocolate or some sort of sweet. Um, and that, that playfulness element too, of just the, you know, we, we, as mouth, like mammals play and, you know, human mammals love to play and that we kind of train this out of ourselves and to disastrous and destructive consequences. And it's not play that you're just making fun of everything or nothing is consequential or nothing is serious, but, you know, play is how we also rehearse for the consequential and the real. And so that when that higher stakes element happens, you know, we can do it. So yes, on one hand, you're going in and you're going into this restaurant, you're helping a friend, you're, you know, honoring their request and you're being playful. But then on the other hand, in those instances where we're in a situation where it's stressful, where we have to ask for something, um, like if, you know, being in a situation where you're caring for an elder and they need some medical assistance and there's all the conversations that you have to have with um, caregivers and like what is needed and what's being done. And, you know, that's, you know, so kind of, um, so to me, there's a connection between, and I think we're aligned in this of like, part of the beauty of the improvisational mindset is that in these lower stakes situations, you know, we can explore, we can challenge, we can push, we can test so that when we find ourselves in those, we're not also trying to figure out like, crap, um, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned this, the building blocks, or you mentioned the improvisation mind mindset. And I think you were referring to this earlier, though, for you, um, in your opinion, what do you define as the building blocks to this improvisational mindset? Yeah. So the building blocks of the improvisational mindset, there's a great book, The Religion of a Vagabond. Um, well, great is a, is a strange way to put it, but it's this interesting book that was written in the, uh, I believe in the 1920s, and his religion is to be a vagabond. And he has this great quote about describing mindset as the roles of a player piano. 
And that, so some people, you know, their, their mindset is like, they play these notes and only these notes. But what I kind of expand on that is like mindset is that you want to take, you know, that some people have the ability to like change out the role and kind of, okay, I'm going to embrace this mindset for this thing. And so with that, that goes to the building blocks of the improvisational mindset where it's like, uh, like Legos, you know, you can combine different things to create things. So there's being present, paying attention, listening, letting go, recognizing patterns, support, story. Um, And then I just added a couple new ones to my list, which is um, insight and uh, sense-making. And so when we're taking the improvisational mindset into the world, you know, we're constantly kind of using these different tools that we have or these blocks to build a mindset that then we can be present for our experience and respond to it. And you don't have to use all the these building blocks all in one exchange. You can even just one. My, could you imagine <laughs> sense making? <laughs> Wait, hold on, I'm listening. I'm Spontaneous. <laughs> um, yes, um, yes. You don't have to use them all the time. And if you did, that would probably be exhausting, both for you yeah. and if you're with others, the people that yes. you're with. Um, do you use, you said you have kind of, you characterize them as principles, you said, is that? Yeah, I think of a cat Coppett's book, the, um, training to imagine. And I think she may have called them principles, the guiding principles. Um, and so she mentioned some of the ones you talked about and, um, of course the make your partner look good. And, you know, whoever you're in front of in that given moment, even if it's for 30 seconds, that person's your partner in that moment. Um, and so that, to me really um, inspires me to just engage with complete strangers. Yeah. And in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. I guess I should add that part. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it is kind of a fun charge to kind of go out into the world. Um, I love that, that framing of it in a positive way, because a lot of times, um, especially now when interacting you know, with people who are in jobs where they're constantly like customer facing and dealing with people that are very stressed and, you know, responding to that in different ways, like to try and help, like have the most positive interaction with them that they can have that day. So just, you know, bringing, trying to bring a little joy and play for this. Sometimes, you know, as you said earlier, like sometimes those things don't go as planned, (laughs) but other times uh, it's just really nice to kind of have, an experience where you share a laugh and uh, and kind of brighten someone's day or moment or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. The, the one where I think of what uh, blew up my face. I mean, there have been many others though. The uh, this was uh, maybe six, seven years ago. I had been in the States. I was coming back to Switzerland. And of course I always have a huge suitcase, which is about as big as me and weighs about as much because I always want to bring stuff back. And I was traveling back from the train, the airport on the train, and it was reaching my stop. And being of less than normal stature, you know, these big suitcases, they're a little tricky for me. So it it seems that I always have someone around who's more than willing to offer help. And so um, rather than waiting for someone to offer this time, what happened was a man came through the door to get off the train and we're waiting for the train to stop. And I list, I looked at him, I said, in French, I said, Oh, just in time. <laughs> I, I, you would think I had, you know, run over his dog. He was so horrified and offended and angry with me. And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. Too, yeah. Not, not appropriate. You know, 
<laughs> didn't work. And so I just, you know, uh, oh, okay. So I just let it go. And then some guy behind was watching the whole thing. He said, please, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I was in a, um, I was actually, I was doing a quest tour. So I was doing quest workshops in different cities and I was in uh, Copenhagen and I had a severe reaction to something and my, my hand ended up kind of like swelling up to comical proportions. And so I had to go to the the hospital um, and a friend of mine um, who uh, speaks uh, uh, Danish um, accompanied me and um, Ellen Fredrickson, and she's absolutely lovely. And she's one of the AIN members. And, um, yeah. but we, we were kind of standing in the hallway for the initial consult and the doctor comes up and he has just a wonderful manner. Um, but he hands out, he, he holds out his hand and he says, please may I have your hand. And, and he, and I hand it, I give him my hand and I say, Oh, doctor, I never thought you'd ask. And he like, you know, and he just looked at me for a minute and then he realized I was joking. And luckily he burst out laughing because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing, you know, um, different context, different language, different culture, different yeah. humor. And luckily um, he, he responded. So I had a, I had a slightly better um, reaction because that could have gone very badly. Yeah. And that for living in another culture, working, uh, often interacting with strangers in a different language, that when it works, the joy I have because there's a whole, you know, two or three more barriers to obstacles to overcome there. And when it doesn't, I, I just kind of go, Oh, okay. Didn't, didn't work that time. (laughs) I, it's interesting that you bring that up. because I was just thinking about that the other day of just those moments of where there's not a, a shared language and those abilities to connect with other people through whatever means that there are to communicate, whether it's just like through a shared smile or, you know, when there's that lovely where you're able to make one another laugh um, Mm -hmm. and, um, or just being able to help someone and without having shared words to describe what the help that's needed, but it's, you know, it's clear, you know, that this person needs some help. And yes, those are, those moments are so, so, so profoundly rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You know, Jeannie, um, You talk about how time, memory, transformation become a through line in your work. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about that. Um, With my, with kind of my fascination of what humans, kind of what gifts evolution has given us. One of the things that I find fascinating about human cognition is um, our ability to mentally time travel and that we can go back in time to our past. We can be in the present and then we can, put ourselves forward into like a projected future. And, you know, almost everybody can do this with like very little effort. Um, Different people have different experience where some people, you know, there's a lot of things in the past that are difficult and complicated, or the past can be a uncomfortable place to go. But then also there are beautiful things in our past, you know, there are wonderful things. And then in the present um, and, you know, is the sensing self, but, you know, we're always a little bit beyond, behind our sensing self, because by the time we sense that we can think that we have experienced something, that moment has already passed. So I kind of, I love this gap in perception, and I love this ability that we have to go backward and forward and to be in time. And years ago, I was listening to a book, Think Like a Futurist by, I think it's Cecily Summers. And this was when some of the earlier studies were coming out 
about um, this, this human ability of chronostasia. And what they were discovering is that many similar neural regions were activated when people were envisioning the future as when remembering the past. It's and called chronostasia. I believe it's chronostasia, and um, but I mm. could be mispronouncing that. So if I am, just listeners at home, please send me angry messages um, about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, time shame me. Um, no, please don't. Um, I'm very sensitive. But uh, but it was so. A lot of these studies, the same parts of the brain are activated when we remember the past as we do when we envision the future. And uh-huh. when I was working in historic preservation, it was really apparent to me. Um, and historic preservation is basically uh, tending toward like the intangible, intangible elements of our past. So that can be buildings, okay. monuments, sculptures, cultural patterns. You know, like all of that. Um, but a lot of times, people could only see something in its present state. Mm-hmm. You know, what it what it could be or what it was were kind of off the table. And so I became really interested in creating games and activities that could help people be more intentional about these source materials. So, you know, what is it from our past that we can pull to that informs how we experience the now and then also how we might think about the future? And so what would I've be an heard, example. Um, so uh, let's say um, like. I had, um, this is a more scary example, but I grew up uh, having pets, having dogs, and was never um, uh, really afraid of dogs. But then mm-hmm. in, when in traveling and living in different countries, um, I was um, chased a couple times by dogs. Um, okay. And that was a terrifying experience. And so it took me a long time to get used to like not being afraid of, you know, dogs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um but then there are more positive things where, you know, we can project into the future. So what I've been creating is kind of an experience where uh, inviting people to create future memories. And so the way, would you like to create a future memory? Yes, please. So they're called fumes um, and it's, it's a <laughs> slightly longer process, but um, so a future memory. So um, I think five years is like a good time lens because it's like far enough away, but it's close enough that the world won't be so completely different. And so thinking about like um, uh, something, so just like closing your eyes and um, let's say there's um, something that you want to happen, like five years from now, maybe it's, you know, your book is written or, um, you know, or something even small, like you finally sent a letter to someone and reconnected to someone and you have that, you know, connection again, or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever magnitude or uh, scope you want. Yeah. And then just think about going into that moment and thinking about like, who are you with in that moment? Mm-hmm. And you're five years in the future, this has all happened. Um, and you're maybe having a conversation about it, or it's actually, you know, that moment. And who are you with? What are you wearing? What is the space that you're in? What sensory experiences do you notice? You know, is the air warm or cool? What is the quality of the light in the room? Mm -hmm. If it's sunny, how does that sunshine feel on your skin? What are the smells? Um, Maybe there's a taste associated. Um, Maybe you're surrounded by people. And so that feeling of being with people. Um, and just really nailing down those sensory experiences of that memory. Mm-hmm. And then um, taking a moment after that to write down 
you know, so the next part of it would be like writing down, like I, and in the first person present tense, I am standing in X, you know, I am with this person. I feel this, I smell this, I see this. And then, you know, the final part is that you could go on and then go backwards through what are the things that would need to happen to get you into this place for that memory to be true. So that's wow. kind of the the reverse engineering of that. So if you want to share anything about your memory, you're welcome to. Or, well, yeah. <laughs> He's very cute. He's a great <laughs> chef. Um, I'm wearing an adorable outfit and um, we're having a great evening together. It's dark and warm and cozy and there's candles and dinner, the re- remnants of dinner. Yeah. And how did it feel experiencing that as if it had happened and were true? It, it felt easy and, and believable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Easy and believable. Yeah. Girl, we are just about out of time. I know. I know. Isn't this crazy? And I want to give us a couple of minutes because I know I, I'm going to ask you for a call for action in a minute. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, yeah, let's start there. Let's hear your call for action. For the for the my my call for action is that I do um, every year I I have a conversation called the Decadeers and I bring people together, complete strangers. Some know each other, some don't, but some most are connected through me to get together at the beginning of January to talk about the year that has passed and the year to come. And then there's no other conversation except what happens the next year. And we will meet every year until 2030. So if you want to do it, um, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll send you the invite. There's no obligation. You can show up, be like, this is great. I'm there every year until the end. Or like, I'm so grateful for that and I'm done, but um, whatever. So I would love for people to join the Decadeers. And they can reach out to you on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, or gene at laminc.com. Okay, good. So, and listeners, for me, um, my invitation to you, my call for action is send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, successes via social media, and I will read them on future shows and make suggestions. You can mail also me at carolcoaching.com, two R's, two L's. Now, listeners, I want you to be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up, and be inspired next week because I'm going to be joined by my social media woman, Talitha V. We're going to be bringing you part two of our discussion on the book, The Boundary Boss, which, Jeannie, sounds like you listened to the first episode, yeah? So good. So, so good. And it was so cool when you said it was life-changing because that's exactly what Talitha was saying. It's so life-changing. So, um, listeners, you can check out my website for more information, carolcoaching.com. Connect with me on social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live about five minutes past the hour for a short chat on today's call. Jeannie, thank you. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Amy. This was just delightful. And thank you, listeners, as well. Yes. Connect. Great. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.